Welcome back, everybody, listening to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host, with my guest today, Omari Sankofa of the Detroit Free Press and the Pistons Pulse. Uh, of course, the other half of that show being frequent guest on here also, it's Bryce Simon. Omari, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always great to be out here, Mike. Thank you. All right, so let's dive right into it. We got the trade trade deadline coming up uh, just a few days away. That'd be next Thursday. Uh, definitely a big topic of conversation amongst Pistons fans. You know, what are we going to do? Who's going to go? Are the Pistons trying to keep talent for next year? Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to see how it goes. Uh, that's why I'm actually going to be posting this episode on Monday instead of Wednesday because I'm completely obsolete 24 hours later otherwise. So uh, maybe this is a little bit too broad of a question, but uh, I suppose, you know, what are you hearing? What do you think uh, if, you had, if you had to make some predictions as to what's going to happen on uh, find out when the bell rings on Thursday, uh, what would those be? My prediction is that uh, Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovic uh, will both be here on Friday. And I think those are the two players who have gotten the most interest around the league, which makes sense when you look at their numbers. They're both having uh, the most efficient seasons of their career. And they're also, you know, like Alec Burks is 30 or 31, uh, Boyan's 33. Uh, so they're two of the only real adults in uh, the, the Trace locker room as well. Um, you know, so I think for those two reasons, the Pistons are – you know, thinking maybe we should hang on to these guys. You know, maybe if we're going to make a leap next season, uh, we need some veterans who can really put the ball in, in the hoop. And I think it really just boils down to that. So uh, they'll continue to take calls through through Thursday. And, you know, I don't think they received a promise or anything that they won't be dealt. But I would be very, very surprised if they're move, moved. I think that they're both going to be here uh, through the offseason at, at least. Uh, with, with that said, I wouldn't be shocked if like some sort of smaller deal took place. Uh, like I know Derlin's Noel, um, you know, the Pistons I've been, you know, to use a, a phrase and kind of keeping a shrink wrap on him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he does not have a feature on, the, on this team, obviously, to the same extent that those two guys do. Um, especially when you just look at their their big man rotation with Bagley and Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, they just, you know, Derlin's has been an emergency option this season. So it, w- it wouldn't shock me to see him moved at all. Uh, but all in all, I, I don't expect this to be like a massive trade deadline for the Pistons. I think yeah, unless they receive just like a, a, a no-brainer, we have to do this offer. Uh, we will see this roster mostly intact on Friday. Yeah, I mean, you don't foresee a trade. Like the Knicks could definitely use some help. We could trade them Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks, you know, get our pick back. I'm just joking. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was pretty happy with the trade at the time, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, it's a salary dump to a team that, had, uh, you know, it certainly had the cap space to absorb it. Nerlens Noel being kind of like a decent, uh, a decent Jalen Dern insurance policy and Alec Burks being an elite shooter, you know, and uh, I think it was only one second round pick the Pistons got at the time, but um, yeah, that, that's definitely worked out. Uh, yeah. Nerlens, uh, I just have to ask because uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I never really understood about this. Why do you figure Dwayne Casey, even during times when the Pistons have been short of bigger two has been, has been so hesitant to play Nerlens? Um, You know, I I would say that when uh, the Pistons first acquired Nerlens last year, uh, you know, just from, from talking to people who, who would know, uh, you know, I think the idea from coming to the season was always being more of an emergency option. Um, you know, so I think some of that could just be the Pistons wanting that opportunity for Duran to be there. Uh, you even have games like last night, um, you know, where it makes sense for Duran to play, right? Like Duran had three fouls at the beginning of the second quarter mm-hmm. and it kind of makes sense for him to come down. And he doesn't, you know, to me, it's, it's probably just not a pure Dwayne decision and, you know, I'll probably just leave it there. But, you know, I think that, you know, the goal for Nerlens, you know, from the start has been 
pretty different from the rest of the players on their uh, roster. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Uh, what would you, what, in your opinion, what would it take at this point to uh, for the Pistons to trade Alec Burks, to trade Boyan Bogdanovich? You know, what kind of offer would they need to receive? If you get a really good draft pick, and you know, there's been a lot of reporting about like the un- unprotected. But even with that, if it's like an unprotected from like the Lakers, where it's like, you know, and I'm not saying they would say no to that, but I think they they want like a, a good first, right? They don't want like a 28th pick, first round pick. You know, you want something that yeah. probably has a, a greater chance to, uh, you know, swing the rebuild in a favorable direction. Uh, you know, so I think I think it starts there. Uh, they're looking at it as we have a guy who is averaging 21 points. His true shooting percentage is like around 63%. Like he's been one of the league's best shooters this season or just best all-around scorers. When you look at how efficiently he's been doing it, you know, especially mm-hmm. on a team that does not have Cade, does not have a true second option. Uh, he's just having a really fantastic season. So I think for Detroit, they're like, if we get 85, even 85, 90% of this player back next season, uh, he's on a team-friendly deal, partially guaranteed in 2024-25 for $2 million. Mm-hmm. And we need to turn this rebuild around like next season. Like we need to get to the next stage of this. What else can we get? for Boyan that would make not make it a leap next season worthwhile. And I think that's what they're measuring, right? Like, you know, if you get a pick that may not convey for, you know, two, three years, or it may convey, but it's like a really low first to maybe get a role player with that. If you're not getting a bogey with that pick, you know, and I don't think you couldn't expect to get a player of that caliber, you know, for pick outside of the lottery, you know, and even then I think what bogey's doing now is, you know, you look at any draft, you probably only have four, four guys maybe who play at the level bogey's at now. Uh, It just really becomes, like from a value proposition, if you want to be good, what makes this worthwhile? So, you know, that's why I, I just don't think there's going to be a deal that uh, makes enough sense for Detroit uh, because just the upside of bringing Boogie back next season or even just bringing him into the offseason and, you know, the parity will still be there across the league and you know that interest will still be high. Uh, you know, maybe there are trades you can make then that make more sense than what you're being offered now, but it's for another player or a better pick, whatever it may be you still have that flexibility. So for them to come off of the potential, but they can get later now, I think would just have to be a really, really, really good draft pick. And I just, you know, it's, it's, it's just tough to see a team giving up that, that, that type of capital, but they would have to be a really good first round pick. I think to start having that conversation in earnest with this front office. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always worth considering that, uh, of course, not all first round picks are created equal. Yeah. Late first round. I mean, that's right on the border of the second round. Uh, your, yeah. Your, your chances of even getting a good role player and not, are not great. I, I recorded an episode earlier in the season in which, and, and this was, man, probably not too far into the season in which, uh, you know, my opinion was that even at the time, even when it was clear that the season was probably going nowhere, Cade had, I think, bowed out for the season at the time that also it would have pretty much just be a nightmare for the offense if Boyan, uh, if Boyan were to be dealt just in a way that even with a team that was clearly headed back toward the top of the lottery and, you know, could use, you know, any assets it could get. It's just that it would be probably a bad thing for the development of the youth to, to pluck Boyan out of the offense and see what happened. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Even, even just for the remainder of the season, you know, the impact it might have if the Pistons were to just trade him away and not replace him with somebody comparable. Yeah. I mean, you see how bad they are now. Um, so, you know, you, you remove their best player from the equation. And um, yeah, I mean, we are probably, watching historically bad basketball at that point, <laughs> honestly, unless yeah. Jaden Ivey uh, makes a leap. And he could, you know, he could. I think there's a lottery guard every year who 
just things really click for him, you know, around mm-hmm. the trade deadline or all star break. And like, I mean, Trey Young did a few years ago, Anthony Edwards a couple of years ago. Like, some guys just they don't figure it out around February, March. And it could be Jada, you know, it could be. But yeah, I mean, you, you trade Boyan and he's giving you a very efficient 21 a night. And no one else on the roster can give you anything close to that. Yeah, you're probably not going to be in, in grape shape. So I think I would most certainly put them in the forefront for the uh, the Wimby chase of nothing else. But, you know, I think as far as the actual basketball on the floor, when you're already losing now and then you take him out, uh, you know, it gets pretty bleak. So, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know if anybody really wants to watch that. A lot of people don't really want to watch now. So, you know, that would be a complete, uh, you know, let's just move on from this season and go all in on, on, on building for the future move, I believe. Yeah. I mean, my, my concern would have been for the other players in the team, like particularly the developing youth. And I mean, what, what impact does, uh, like we don't see, and I, I think a lot of people also don't consider this, you know, what it's like for, uh, for players to be losing. Uh, we, but when I mean, obviously not you, I mean, we, uh, the fans uh, don't see, yeah. Like, you know, what it's like for young players, especially to be losing game after game after game and not playing in a functional offense. Uh, like I've, I've got to think that that probably would not be ideal for, for development either. It's not, um, you know, of course it's easier for guys to kind of find their footing when they have more clearly defined roles and aren't being asked to do too much. Um, you know, I think a lot of this is just a function of re- rebuilding, honestly. Uh, you know, I think you, like you have guys like Boyan and Jeremy Grant and, you know, Alec Burks and Kelly Olenek to kind of raise the floor and, you know, give players who've been around and know what they're doing and, just give the offense a little bit more function, um, you know, but of course teams deal with injuries, you know, case out this year. So that really, you know, I think threw a lot of things out of whack, just given oh, yeah. all of Detroit's, you know, offensive and defensive game planning at that, you know, or at least most of it kind of revolved around Cade and now he's gone. So everybody else just has to pick up the pieces and nobody else in the roster can really do everything that, that he, he does. Uh, so I just, I think some of this is just inherent to re- rebuilding. I think it's a luxury to be able to rebuild, and have a functioning offense on the floor. And usually when you do that, uh, you're not talking about a 20-win team. You're talking about a 30 or 35-win team, right? You know, mm-hmm. I think those those are the, the teams that, you know, can play with some level of consistency every night. Like you're talking about the Wizards, right, where you have, you know, Bradley Bill, you have Kuzma, uh, Porzingis, but the roster as a whole is just not quite good enough to be good. Like you're talking about more so that that, that type of team where you're creating an environment for a player to dive, to drive in and, Mm-hmm. Even it doesn't always happen. So I guess for me personally, I think when you kind of go through like a full rebuild, like the Pistons are going through now, you kind of side up for periods where what you're putting on the floor is just not functioning at all. And that's just kind of how it, it goes. You know, I don't think that you get to fully rebuild and have all the, the rows on the floor, you know, filled properly or, you know, mm-hmm. all the players on the roster having their proper workload. Like, typically a lot of stuff is going to be mismatched until you actually become a good team. And, um, you know, I think that they're bad just because that's what happens when you kind of go through this process. Uh, you know, they just don't have the talent floor to um, be an organized team every single night or even most nights. Oh, of course, yeah. I'm just thinking that this would make it even worse. You know, oh, if you, yeah. If you, yeah. Like, and that would make it worse. <laughs> and I do think that the front office still wants to have, you know, players in the room who – are not young, right? And can still see the big picture and can still show up and play every night. Um, you know, I think the example to Alec Burks, like especially him coming off the bench for this team for most of the season and still being as good as he's been. Um, you know, kind of going off on like a, a tangent now, but I see a lot of debate about the young guys starting coming off the bench, their confidence, and everything. And 
Mm-hmm. I'm just like, look, you know, if you're a professional in the NBA, you got to figure it out. You know, Alec Burks has a complaint. I mean, he's 31. Like, you know, I'm sure Monsanto, he'd probably rather be playing for a good team, but he showed up to work and he's done his job. And so is Boyan. So just having those guys setting that example on the floor every night, to me, I think that goes a long way, you know, for them to still be as good as they have in a circumstance that really has not been conducive to them playing their, their best basketball. Yeah, I mean they have, they have both really played some of their best basketball, absolutely, and and well into their thirties. And you know, in the case of Boyan, uh, what is their importance also, you know, in the locker room for this, you know, very very young team? That man, aside from the two of them, in terms of veterans, it's basically well, I mean, if you if you take uh, Nerlens Noel out of the equation, it's just uh, Corey Joseph, who certainly rarely plays, and Rodney Magruder is the very same. So uh, you know, what's their importance in the locker room, and just in terms of leadership of the team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been really important just to have two pros who are not only playing extremely good basketball on the floor, but uh, I've kind of just been those voices in the locker room, uh, having the young players' backs and, uh, you know, just sort of giving them the lay of the land. Like, I think I think Bogey, uh, his game is pretty similar to what you eventually want Sadiq to be and Alec Burks, uh, just the way he's able to draw fouls, knock down threes, like uh, – I mean, Isaiah Livers, like Ivy, like a lot of these guys have talked about just wanting to steal things out of his bag, you know, because he, his bag is pretty deep, you know, and he has a, a, a lot of veteran tricks. So uh, yeah. that's the stuff that doesn't really show up to be in the win-loss record, but in the grass game is, you know, just the value of that is really hard to replace when you do have it. And the Pistons are lucky to be as bad as they are, but still have two guys who are playing extremely well and can, and can set that example on the floor and off it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's good to have. On the other hand, it is, you know, perhaps a little painful that the the two top performers on the team right now are both are both veterans. Uh, yeah. Uh, that said, yeah, like back to the trade deadline. I mean, I, I suppose it's probably a season in which we're looking at, you know, maybe something kind of unexpected, small happening. You know, even if that like a couple seasons ago, of course, it was Hamadou Diallo. I mean, you had the, the Corey Joseph trade as well, and uh, and then last year Marvin Bagley. Uh, would you be surprised, really, if this were a trade deadline in which absolutely nothing happened from the Pistons side? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think uh, the front office is looking at it like anything we can do now, we can still do over the summer, and we can do it with cap space and with a lottery pick and just have way more tools in the, the tool chest to kind of get this roster to where it needs to be. So, uh, no, I, I mean, I, that, that wouldn't shock me at all. Like, if I had to put money on it, I would say that this ends up being a uh, very quiet deadline for him. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know everybody, probably a lot of people out there who would appreciate something exciting happen, but you know, for what it's worth, I concur. I think, you know, I would, I would be surprised if anything very significant happened as well. So, you know, speaking about looking forward to next season, I talked about this actually for the entirety of my last episode, but I did you know, but we've talked about it a bit incidentally here, just in terms of what the Pistons are hoping to do next season uh, in terms of, you know, you know, keep, you keep Boyan, you keep Alec Burks, you know, want to hopefully make a a step in in the direction of the postseason next season. I mean, just uh, you know, to preface this, did the did the front office really like what were the goals for this season? Were there any goals beyond development? I mean, did the front office say you know, well, we'd like to be a respectable team with with such and such record? It was pretty much just like we're going to go in, uh, you know, with the talent we have and prioritize developments. And if you know whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I think they wanted to take a, a, a meaningful step forward uh, compared to Troy Weaver's first two seasons. Um, you know, I think the bogey trade, which, I mean, on, on paper, like, that's a no-brainer, right? Uh, but, you know, to get him and then extend him, uh, to me, was very much a, it's time to start crawling out of the basement and be, start to resemble 
a good team move. Uh, UFK, like you added Ivy and Duran, uh, all your 2020 picks were entering year three. Uh, you have Bogey and you have Alec Burks. I think that, uh, like, even if they weren't necessarily making this a playoff or bust season, uh, they definitely expected to see some sort of progress for the first two years. And uh, Kate getting hurt kind of tossed a lot of that out of the window, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't think this is probably going to be a developmental season to the same extent that the first two years were. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the bogey trade to be very much was a let's start playing some actual basketball now, right? Like, you know, if we miss the playoffs, that you know, that's 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 fine. Like, we're not saying that this has to be the season that we make the big leap. But I don't think they expect it to be as bad as they are now going in. And, um, yeah, just Kate being hurt just ruined a lot of what the expectation was going into the year. Absolutely. I mean, if Cade had remained healthy, what do you think this season would look like right now if you had to, you know, just yeah. if you had to daydream a little bit? You know, I think they would be closer to like what OKC and what Indiana have been this season. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like you look at their rosters and, uh, you know, I would say those rosters are probably pretty comparable to what the Pistons have now. Um, you know, I don't know if Cade was going to be as good as Shea has been for OKC. Oh, but, he's been so good. You know, yeah. but I would say that Bogey would probably very easily be OKC's second best player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like some people come and make an argument for Josh Giddy, and you know, I'm not going to argue against that. But uh, I kind of look at OKC, or I look at Indiana, where Paolo Burton, you know, is an all-star this year. Like he just had a phenomenal season, and yeah, look at how bad they were when Paolo Burton was out. You know, for most of January as well, uh, which is they kind of played like the Pistons are playing, but Paolo Burton just his scoring, his his overall organization uh, transforms that team, and I think the Pistons would probably be in that bracket, right? Not the Houston. San Antonio bracket, but the we're building something and there's something clearly brewing here and we probably miss, still miss the, the playing tournament, but nobody wants to play us next season, right? Like, I think the Pistons would have been in that tier of team uh, where you're probably drafting between you know, 14 and 9 instead of you know being in prime position for 1B. That good, huh? Yeah, like, I really do think that they, like, Indiana's essentially having close to what the Pistons could have been. Like, I don't know if I would have predicted like 500, like they're playing a 500 place with Halliburton, but like, you know, I think 35 wins would have been realistic for this Pistons team if K were healthy for sure. Wow. That's that, that would be a huge leap. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and if, if you consider like, well, uh, let me put it this way, I man, what do you think the expectations are for next season? And, and do you think that there is any pressure? Like we know that Tom Gores has, you know, after his first, I think it was nine years, basically, or eight and a half seasons in which he really denied the Pistons the opportunity to rebuild uh, and then seemed to to finally, after the failure of the Griffin trade, say, you know, okay, well, it's time to do something different and and kind of step back. Do you think that there is any additional pressure now being kind of being put down from above that, you know, it's, you know, I really want uh, this team to take a leap next season? Yeah, I think that. Uh, this rebuild, uh, as always, they've got a scene doing most of the dirty work as a three-year process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they got to eye 2023 as being an ideal time to, uh, you know, crawl out, out of the basement and then, you know, begin to really compete every night. Um, you know, I think whether Troy actually comes on and says next season this playoff or, or bust remains to be seen, you know, and maybe they don't quite communicate that just with it really being K's second season next year with him missing most of this season. Uh, but with the cap space they'll have, adding another lottery pick, you know, I'm sure at least one of their 2020 picks will, you know, have signed an extension by then. And like to be at like at that point, I think you look at, look at the roster. Uh, you know, Ivy and Durant being a year or two, you look at the roster and you could say 
uh, this is a team that should be more competitive every night. And like, mm-hmm. I would expect that, you know, the, the front office would want to see some level of postseason con- con- contention next year, uh, for sure. Because uh, after three years, you want to see some signs that what you're, you're building is something that could actually lead to winning. Uh, you know, if you go into next season and really win 26, 27 games again, I think that's a clear sign that something went really, really wrong. So speaking of cap space, like looking to this summer, uh, and I'm sure you share this concern being a longtime Pistons fan, is, you know, we saw it with Dumars. Obviously, Weaver is not Dumars. Dumars had his heaping, heaping, enormous share of faults during really the latter half of his tenure with the Pistons. But just because you have cap space doesn't necessarily mean that, you, you know, you should spend it, you know, if if, uh, if the guys aren't there to really spend it on. I, I feel like this is kind of like a, a weak free agent class. Like if you had to really, and I know, you know, this really speaks, really says a lot about the current season that we're talking about free agency in the beginning of February. But, <laughs> you know, if you had to look at uh, at this summer's free agency class, just in terms of how this team could improve, you know, what's really what's going to be a ton of cap space. I mean, who would you look at? I mean, I know the one name, ironically, that comes up, uh, you know, I think would come up for any observer at first would be Jeremy Grant, you know, even assuming he could be prized away from Portland. But uh, is there anybody, anybody you see? in that class you think would be a good option for the Pistons going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think Jeremy Grant, um, I was going to start there. Uh, you know, like, of course, reporters come out that he's been offered this extension from Portland and uh, the max ex- extension at that. Well, you know, actually, I'm not positive if it was a uh, max, but definitely a very healthy number for Jeremy Grant. And uh, he's kind of sitting on it. And it's like, well, what's going on there? Uh, I mean, of course, we know, you know how close he and Troy Weaver are and, um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think if you're just looking at guys who kind of fit what the Pistons need and, you know, players who, you know, like would come to Detroit, uh, like I think, yeah, like Jeremy Grant makes sense. Uh, you know, the Pistons are never going to be a huge market in every shift of free agency, but to me that, like, that that just makes sense. Like he knows these guys, like, you know, he knows the system, he knows Troy. Um, and the Pistons, you know, sort of, sort of ironically do need, like, a big body wing who can shoot and defend. You know, Jeremy Grant's having a really fantastic season. And mm-hmm. if you could go into next season with him, Cade, Orion Bogdanovic, uh, you know, you probably feel pretty good about competing every night, right? Like, I think that raises your floor a good bit, you know, especially if you get a leap from one of Jaden Ivey or Jalen Duran. Like, that's a pretty solid team. So, uh, yeah, this is not the strongest free agency class, but, you know, I think – if he does go into a free agency and kind of leaves this extension hanging, then, you know, he's probably at the top of the list for a lot of teams. And I do expect the Pistons will be involved in that. Uh, Harrison Barnes has some intrigue, you know, if I think for a lot of the same reasons as Jeremy Grant being a guy who can defend, shoot. Um, you know, I think at, at, at this point, Jeremy Grant's probably having a much better season than Harrison Barnes has had in a, a, a while, but he Long checks time, a, a lot of the same boxes, right? Um, beyond that, like this class is not really super impressive right like you kind of look at the top and it's just like yeah like you know like there's some guys here who make sense but you know you're probably not like um not a lot of guys that you probably want to cash in most of that 40 million in cap space for uh like yeah, yeah like Kyrie probably would be an to free agent but I don't think the Pistons are going to go after Kyrie right so oh please no um you know so those are <laughs> so those are the types of guys I'll, I'll look at yeah some guys who will be like restricted free agents too like Grant Williams and like mm-hmm. I mean we know what he can do we see him in the playoffs he's obviously really good uh, to be, uh, the Pistons probably look at Grant Williams and say, you know what, we just extend Isaiah Stewart because he's going to give us a lot of what Grant Williams would give us, you know, in that contract. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't necessarily see that being as likely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you said Jeremy Grant. To me, that's like the best option for Detroit. And, you know, and we'll see if Jeremy Grant feels the same way. 
Uh, I mean, it seemed like Jeremy uh, had a or left on very good terms, to put it that way. Uh, do you feel like you know, knowing what you do about Jeremy and knowing what you do about uh, about uh, his time with the team and you know the manner in which uh, in which you departed the organization, that they're you know they're still on good terms? Oh yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, Portland was you know at the top of Jeremy Grant's list, or you know, one of the teams at the top of his list uh, mm-hmm. last year, and. Um, you know, it just worked out with the Pistons for him to do that deal and get, you know, the cap space back. But, um, no, I don't think there's any – I don't think there's any bad blood there. You know, it's the NBA. He's been traded before. You know, he ended up in a good situation in Portland, you know, playing with one of his good friends. And they talked about his relationship with uh, Damian Lillard. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. he's in a good spot, and I don't think he posted against the Pistons for sending him there. Yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see Jeremy back in the team, though, especially. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you bring him on. Uh, it's you know, trade and report ones you know, for the pick that brings you ultimately brings you Jalen Duran, you know, plus plus cap dump for Kemba Walker. And, and then Jeremy circles back. And of, of course, you know, I'll, I'll draft dependent. But uh, I feel like even if the Pistons were to, you know, were to hit the lottery, so to speak, and then get to draft Victor, and assuming he's not, you know, another one of these huge hypermobile bigs who misses his first season, I'd think, I feel like even in that situation, you bring back Grant, maybe Boyan has a future on the bench just because of, uh, I don't know, just where his defense is in the starting lineup. Like, would you be surprised, uh, you know, in, in that sort of situation if the Pistons were to draft, uh, you know, were to get the, the and whatever. I mean, we're talking like tiny, tiny chances here. I'm not even sure why I'm bringing this up, honestly, because the situation is so incredibly unlikely. But let's say you draft Victor and, uh, and, and Jeremy Grant's interested in a reunion. And so you have the two of them on the team. Uh, you could see the Pistons just playing Boyan as kind of like a high usage guy off the bench. No, yeah, no, absolutely could. I think he's a guy who would accept this role. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, once you get past the top two in this draft, like, it's almost straight wings all the way down, you know, from yeah. like three through eight or nine or uh, ten. And, um, you know, unless it's, it's, it's cute, it's just hard to see the logic of the Pistons taking a, a, another young guard anyway. Um, you know, so I think a lot of it just depends on how the summer shakes out. But, you know, so like, especially if they bring in Jeremy Grant, um, you know, at that, that, that point, like, I still think bogey starting bogey is a good option uh, just because you could, you know, sell him in at the three. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's probably, he's still probably going to be the best shooter on the roster next season. Um, you know, stuff to see the, play, the Pistons draft or somebody or find somebody else in free agency who's going to shoot it as well. Uh, but regardless, I think he would be accepting of his, his role. Uh, I, I think I just wonder for this team, is he so good offensively that you could really afford bringing him off the bench, you know, especially with Kate back and now he doesn't have to like, handle the ball and playmake as much. You kind of slot him into his more natural role as a catch-and-shoot guy who occasionally puts the ball on the floor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of draft coverage, uh, Omari's uh, co-host in the Pistons Pulse is Bryce Simon, Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Uh, check him out. He's been back in the trenches since, uh, goodness, I don't even remember when. I don't usually do my draft research until the end of, uh, until, you know, middle end of February. I don't, I don't start until then, but Bryce has uh, a level of energy that I envy, put it that way. All right, so let's, let's move on to our final segment here. But first, a quick word from the sponsor. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner in the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same game parlay in any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you get a bonus bet back. For example, if you're a Pistons fan, you can bet on the upcoming Rising Stars game. 
Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 in the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook and official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So this season obviously has not gone as hoped. You know, Cabe is out early on. The Pistons have had a lot of struggles. There has not really been a, a ton to be excited about. We've got just how many games left? Less than 30, I think, at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we're like 29 or 28 at this point. Yeah, uh, so it's been forgettable, to say the least. And I just want to talk about, I mean, how how can, uh, you know, pretty much everybody, all of us, find ways to find joy in, in the remainder of what has been a completely broken season? I mean, uh, we can definitely talk about, you know, how this isn't the worst season we've sat through. Uh, like, we, you know, we, we, just, we were discussing this a little bit before the show. Like, for me, uh, in this, whatever, the fact that this isn't the worst isn't necessarily necessary. But the worst for me was, like... Uh, was was 2016 2017 like I, I feel like things are still happening i'll put it that way this team is headed somewhere like in the middle of those middle van gundy years were horrible like absolutely horrible for me because the team was most likely not headed anywhere and, and things were very bad 2016 2017 the pistons come off that competitive sweep against the Cavs. reggie jackson gets hurt uh he gets played anyways like one of the worst players in the league drummond decides halfway through the season he doesn't want to play uh he regresses hard marcus morris becomes a chucker uh kcp just completely loses it Tobias Harris is like the only guy from that uh, from from that cohort who actually improves. Van Gundy does a terrible job as a coach. The Pistons barely missed the playoffs, <laughs> and of course, go on that to go on to the off season to uh, to pass on Donovan Mitchell. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess what was I'm sure this season hasn't been like super fun uh, for you either. It just as is, is somebody who really likes the Pistons to watch, um, you know what what was your if you had to look back? I mean, what was your least favorite season as a Pistons fan? Yeah, uh, yeah. So just for a little context, I mean, for people who don't know, I, you know, I was born and raised in Detroit, and you know, I was probably started watching the Pistons when I was ten years old, and uh, you know, definitely asked the Pistons fandom from around then until maybe toward the, the tail end when I was in college. I graduated Michigan State in twenty sixteen, just because I wasn't watching as much. I mm-hmm. was starting to get into more of the professional side of my career, so that kind of changes your relationship watching all sports, honestly. Um, yeah, of course. You know, like especially basketball um so that kind of kind of died out but i would say but i was like watching him as like a pure fan growing up it would be that first season after Allen iverson when they went and they got charlie even in the waiver and bing gordon and this is before they start getting like the high lottery well i guess mid high lottery picks so this was before greg monroe this is before vernon knight before rj drummond and you're watching rip hamilton ben gordon charlie even in the waiver uh rodney stuckey Austin Day, uh, I'm just thinking the names on top of my head. Who else was on that team? Like, like Chris Wilcox, I think was on that team, and it was just uh, probably the first time since I had really started seriously watching basketball that I was watching like a truly bad team. Uh, like at least the, the previous season, like they won 39 games, and like probably halfway through the year, you realized, oh, this is not this is not working right. Like the Iverson trade is not going to work out as far as I'm actually being good this season. Yeah, but. They still made the playoffs, and you still have like to watch a, a superstar in Allen Iverson was different, and it was still yeah. just like a unique yeah. season. It wasn't bad; it was unique. But that season was bad because it's you, you fully moved <laughs> on to this new era, and it, it's immediately clear that it's not going to be good. Yeah. Um, and if not that season, I would say uh, that first Josh Biff season, which I believe was 2013-14. It's like on on paper, it's like okay, they have Gagnon, they have Andre Drummond. This probably isn't going to work out. And then you actually watch them play, and it's like, oh, this is. Yeah, like this is some of the worst basketball I've, I've, I've ever seen. So um, a lot of bad seasons sort of in that era, but those two for me kind of stick out as the 
um, this team's going nowhere. And whatever the plan was went dramatically wrong seasons. And I think, you know, as a fan, those always feel especially bad. Yeah, so you so you did not like the Pistons trotting out a starting lineup that had basically zero reliable shooters in 2013. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that was that was like pre like the pre Steph Curry boom, but yeah. it was also still post like Mike D and and, and Tony and whatnot. So we still kind of understood like you yeah. need at least three shooters out there. You can't you can't play three three bigs together. So no, that no. didn't work out at all. No, I mean, even Brandon Jennings at that time was was a very, very unreliable shooter, and KCP was a rookie, a completely yeah. unknown quantity. And that five-man lineup still is one of the least efficient in the last 15 years in terms of true shooting, sub-50% true shooting uh, yeah. for that starting lineup of Brandon Jennings, KCP, Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, and Andre Drummond. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's ugly. funny because, yeah. uh, you know, like, in the modern NBA, like, Josh Smith would actually be a pretty good five <laughs> you know like he's like the perfect modern five if you could just get him to take fewer three-pointers just as a, like as mobile as he was defensively as athleticism like mm, he would be a great five in today's nba i think but you know you gotta give him a brain though a better brain yeah, yeah. a decade yeah. ago you know teams could still type themselves into playing them at the, the, the three so i guess yeah. that just shows how much the nba has changed because there's no way any gm would do that now without getting fired instantly. oh oh no absolutely not uh yeah so Definitely unpleasant times in the past for the Pistons. So, you know, in your opinion, uh, for the next 28, get 28, 29 games, you know, what joy is there to be taken out of the season? You know, like how, what enjoyment can be found in the remainder of the season, which I'm sure to many fans is, is just looking like a slog. Like, I feel like, you know, you, you've got the obvious stuff. Like, you know, Jalen Duran's having a promising season. Like Jaden Ivey is showing, you know, showing some improvement. Um, but, you know, you call it but, and it's, it's likely to be, a, you know, more of a lot of the same. You know, that kind of like a, a heavy dose of, of veteran scoring and still a lot of frustration, a defense that's probably not really likely to improve all that much. Uh, I guess I have absolutely no, no idea where I'm going in this conversation because I just listed a bunch of things that aren't really going to be enjoyable to watch. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I think if you're a fan, um, you have to watch purely for just process and the basketball, right? Like, don't care about whether they win or lose, this and that. Look at how guys are improving or not improving from game to game. Uh, you know, I think you've definitely seen um, a lot of improvement from Ivy and during the season, and that's probably been one of the um, only things this, this season that's just been an objective good is that they've gotten ample minutes, like especially during, it's probably gotten way more minutes than anybody could have reasonably guessed. Oh, yeah. And you know, along with that, uh, like Ivy, I think in a lot of ways has been the player you expect, you know, which is good because the athleticism translated and, you know, just the rim pressure and uh, some of the shot making as well. Uh, but he's been shooting the mid-range pretty well. And he's actually made pretty good strides as a point guard. And all mm-hmm. these, of these things are things that could pay off for him pretty bigly down the road, you know, that he essentially has, you know, started every game he's played this season. He's getting like these really important reps and you see it starting to translate to actual skill development for him. So I think, like Ivy and Duran, if nothing else this season, uh, just watching them throughout the rest of the year, um, you know, they'll both be in the first team uh, rookie conversation, I think, deservedly so. And firstly, Duran's going to have to go against Walker Kessler, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, but they'll both get a lot of attention for both of those teams. Um, like, and even the the other guys, right? Like, I think Killian Hayes, you know, turning into an NBA caliber point guard has been, um, you know, a good storyline this season. Uh, like, Isaiah Stewart, like, I think, from a pure skill development standpoint, what he's doing as far as 
not only hitting threes, but you're starting to see that second level of him like finding open shooters driving to the rim. Uh, I would say that he, I've probably been more impressed with this development this season than any other player uh, because it's one thing for uh, like you can make the argument for Killian. I guess for me, the difference is that Killian is doing things we do he could do. Uh, he's just doing them better. Uh, Isaiah Stewart is doing things that when he was drafted, like we did not know that he could do because uh, he didn't do any of this stuff in college or in high school. Mm-hmm. And he's already pretty decent at doing it, right? Like he's not Draymond Green with the ball, but again, he's looking to make those extra passes and reads. And now he can build on that this offseason uh, when he's just going into the gym and doing one on one drill work. Like that's going to be, like, these are going to be things that he can now capitalize on and continue to build on. Uh, it's like that shot, not playmaking. And that makes him an extremely valuable player, you know, just given what he can already do on defense. Uh, now you add in the, the shooting in the perimeter game and, like I mentioned Grant Williams earlier, but, you know, you're going to get a lot of that here and he's going to be a valuable player. So uh, for me, it is, you know, like as a beat writer, uh, you're always trying to weigh all these different, you know, things as far as what's trade deadline week. I got to hit on this, you know, reporting the young guys. Like once we get to this point next week, start transitioning to the draft a little bit more. Um, you know, like I know a lot of fans are just dumped the season and, hey, you know, I don't work for the Pistons. It's not my job to so people put they should watch, uh, you know, if you, you know, spend time with your kids, you know, go <laughs> enjoy a nice <laughs> restaurant, play some video games. You know, you don't like by all means, if you don't enjoy watching bad basketball, don't watch bad basketball like that's yeah. you know, I, would, I would expect you to do that. But if you are looking for things to watch, then to me, just the pure skill development aspect for the young guys is, is, is something that I think a lot of fans could still get some enjoyment from watching because it has been there. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I mean, you mentioned, uh, well, Isaiah Stewart, uh, number one. And so we mentioned Isaiah Stewart and like, at, like my opinions on Isaiah Stewart, like a power forward, like whatever, I, I, I have certain questions about what his future in the NBA, my NBA might be, you know, beyond role player and role player is fine. Uh, I think like the, the impression that I've always gotten is that he's just like absolutely a fantastic character guy to have on your team, just in terms of tone setting, in terms of leadership and whatnot, you know, uh, what is you know, really, what is Isaiah like around the locker room, on the court? You know, what impact do you think he has just on his teammates, just by his mentality alone? No, I think you're sort of on the money when you talk about just his his character and him being just a good guy to have in the locker room. Um, you know, I would say in this season, he's even stepped up in that regard. Um, you know, I think there's sort of been a void um, with Cade being out because from day one last season, he came in and he immediately assumed that leadership role. Uh, after tough losses, he uh, locker room wasn't open, so usually got like two players after games. And after tough losses, it was usually him. He would come out and you know explain what happened and you know take fought for the the team. Like he was really big on accountability and really good at uh, just being available to the media and managing the media. And he embraced that side of the job, which you really don't see for a lot of veterans, let alone you know for a nineteen year old rookie. Yeah. Um, so there's sort of been a void. And of course, in the locker room as well, Kate was kind of like that, that, that voice and that organizer. So Isaiah Stewart's kind of stepped up and um, like he's the guy like in the locker room a lot. Like he'll check with us and make sure like, hey, do you need to talk? Do you need, need me to talk? Oh, you don't? All right, cool. Or, you know, if you do, he always makes himself available. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like they can get back my 40 points. Like he always does that. Uh, just a good guy to talk to in, 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 in general. Um, but you, you've seen that growth from this season just as a leader mm-hmm. and kind of knowing his place on the team and how he can impact winning, uh, you know, the Pistons, like he was drafted and, you know, they have worked with him on the three ball and, you know, eventually transitioning to be able to play the four and five, you know, since pretty early in his career, he hasn't complained. He's embraced all the road changes, uh, really is a, a team first guy. 
Oh, yeah. um, you know, I think that, you know, of all the 2020 picks, he's probably the guy that has the best chance of getting extended. And, you know, I was going to say that on the Pistons post, but, you know, we're talking about Isaiah Stewart, so I kind of dropped him on here first. So, oh, great. Uh, I'm honored. You know, I'll make it up to Bryce. <laughs> I'll make it up to Bryce with something else uh, when we record tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, but there's a lot, you know, I think that uh, he's brought to the team this year. And uh, he's really stepped up. Like, he's, he's, he's really stepped up. And, you know, I think the Pistons, they have a, a lot of core guys, but he's definitely toward the top of the, the list as far as core guys for this team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Stewart seems like a great dude. Uh, the guy basically do anything that's asked of him without complaint. Uh, all right, so one uh, one last topic, and uh, this is a guy I talk about quite a bit and don't generally have very good things to say uh, about, but I, I think, you know, you and I talked about this, I believe, uh, when you were last on the show. That was, I think, around the beginning of the season. So uh, Dwayne Casey gets a lot of flack, like in, in, in my opinion, some deserved flack for how he operates on the court. Um you know, what's the value that he continues to provide in, in this very, what has been a season that really wasn't what the Pistons had hoped and, and a season that's been very frustrating for the fans? Yeah, I think I think the skill development has still been there um, this season. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of frustration with fans as far as Killian kind of stagnating his first two years, but uh, he's made some meaningful strides forward. And uh, for me, it stands out that like Killian, like preseason and like the first eight, nine games of season, like he couldn't shoot a rocket to the ocean, right? Like, he was just missing everything. Like, his confidence was clearly shaken. And I think on both teams, he probably just would have been benched, right? Like, you know, he's not performing, so it is what it is. And, you know, Dwayne said, no, we're going to stick with him. We're going to let him figure it out, work through it. You know, just give him that, you know, the time and the um, opportunity he needs to do it. And he did it. He turned it around, and he's been an NBA caliber point guard, you know, now for about two and a half months. So that, uh, to me, is... I think it just speaks to just the way and sort of innate understanding of like confidence and just giving guys the opportunity to work through things. I know Kenny has moved back to the bench, but mm-hmm. um, like to be like, you, you look at his play, like, you know, I think on paper it's fine to start Ivy and Burks over him. Like I don't necessarily see that as an indictment on Killian. I just think it's, you know, he figured it out. He, he could play, he can perform, um, you know, so that's kind of moving back into the role you're probably being long-term. Right. But like to me that, like that is a win for the coaching staff to unlock Killian Hayes this season. Uh, you look at like Duran too, like the opportunity for the young guys has been there this season, even with Bogey and Alec Burks, uh, you know, Ivy to start every game this year, uh, Duran that started their last 19 or 20 games. Like, I think you look at the player development, the player opportunity aspect, and, um, that has consistently been good. Isaiah Stewart, even like, you know, he's come off the bench and started, but for him to become a capable three point shooter already. And, mm-hmm. um, like there have been a lot of wins on, on that forefront. So I would say if nothing else, I do think that the player development aspect has still been there. For this coaching staff, you with the wins on that, man. Yeah. Do you think he's also, you know, provided value in terms of, you know, keeping the locker room together, keeping the players, it seems like reasonably happy throughout, you know, what, what's I'm sure been a very, very difficult season for a lot of them? I think so. Um, you know, he's approached this entire rebuilding process as, you know, like the more, most important thing is just to get, build these players up and get them to where they need to go, right? Um, you know, I think. Uh, you look at the win-loss record and just ask her to think, you know, things are going horribly wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, uh, you know, again, like this is going to be the third straight year they went fewer than 25 games or fourth or fifth straight year. Actually, you know, it's been a while since they've cracked 30 wins even. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that, that does get frustrating. But, you know, players are like the skilled work has still been there. Uh, you see other teams sometimes like that frustration sets in, like Eric Gordon with Houston. Like he oh, just yeah. straight up tells the camera, there has been no improvement, right? The Pistons haven't had that. You know, they haven't had, you know, players who seem like they're really discontent 
in their roles. Uh, like for even, you know, Bowie and, and Alec Burgess, you know, to be for him to buy in and uh, not get frustrated with their situation, like they see the big picture. Uh, so that's the front office and some of that's, you know, the coach too. So, you know, you saw players kind of bought into like the long-term plan, even though the season's going askew. So we've seen that as as, as well. Like I, I, I do think that that's something that Dwayne Casey has had a hand in. All right. This has been Omari Sankofa for the Detroit Free Press and the Pistons Pulse Podcast. Omari, once again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to join. Uh, great. So as always, folks, I want to thank you all for listening. Catch you in the next episode.